This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. How's everybody doing today? Come on. I am. Y'all can hear me. It's just my ears. <laughs> oh, man, we're in uh, week two of a series called freaky. And we're in this series kind of because we realize normal is not working. I don't know where you're at in life today, but I can guarantee you that if you look real hard, probably without even examining the world with a lot of inspection, you're going to learn that normal is not working. Because normal in the world that we live in is overextended and stressed. Normal is broken, bankrupt. Normal is debt. And we know that just doesn't work. Just to kind of take a moment as we get ready to get started today, I want to highlight something I think is important. Every year as we get ready to start a new year, we believe that praying is an important part of that. So we have... uh, Every year, we started with 21 days of prayer. And we take three weeks and kind of intentionally look into the heart of God, saying, God, if you want to take me, you want to do this in my life this year, you want to use me, let let me first start this by intentionally praying. And this year, we've kind of anchored this theme for our 21 days of prayer in Hebrews 12.1, where the Bible says, let us run the race that he has marked out for us. And I I want you to understand why this is going to be so important for us, why this series is so important. Most of us are not running the race. The race is running you. If, If I look at your life, your life is not the race that God has marked out. Our our lives are so overcommitted, overextended, so normal that the rat race of the world is actually running them. All right? So we're going to take three weeks. We're going to pray through three different themes. We're in week number two. Prayer gods are in your worship gods today. Now, last week, we kind of kicked this off by looking at a, a statement, a very quick statement that Jesus makes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, where he talks about two different types of roads. And in each one, there's kind of like good and bad news hidden inside of them. In the the first one, he talks about a a broad road that is there. And the broad road, the good news is it's easy. It's kind of like the interstate. Not a lot of turns, not a a, a pretty high speed limit. Everybody's on there. Everybody's cruising. But the bad news about the broad road that many of us are traveling is that it leads to death. That's bad news. But Jesus says there's a different road, a a, a side road, we might call it. It's narrow. It's more difficult. That's the bad news. But the good news is that that road leads to life. You see, the normal life, normal is the broad road. Normal is 
that broad road that is leading to destruction. And Jesus says many are on that road. But we don't want to be normal. As a matter of fact, we want to take the flagpole of our lives and put our freak flag on it, fly it all the way to the top, because we want to be freaky if that's what the normal is. All right? See, I started thinking this week about the way that normal people live as opposed to the way that freaky people live. You know what normal people do when it comes to their desires? Normal people give in to their desires. Normal people give in to their desires. I, I learned a lot about what we desire when my wife was pregnant. Because you have never seen anybody want anything like a pregnant woman when she wants something. How many of y'all know that? You know, pregnant women want the craziest things. I grew up listening to my mom talk about the weird stuff she wanted when she was pregnant with me, like, like sardines cooked in pickles. And like, Mom, that, that makes me want to vomit just hearing you talk about it. I've never ate a sardine just because of the stories she told, right? You know that there's a phenomenon called pica with people who are, women who are pregnant? It literally causes them to want to eat things that are bad for them, like dirt. Like dirt. They literally smell it. Oh, I want to chow down on that. Let me go outside and get a handful of clay and eat that. Now, I got to be pretty good friends with uh, Amanda's OB when, when we were uh, going there for, for Addie, uh, my, my three-year-old daughter. And I got, had, had a lot of conversations with him about it. I said, what's the weirdest thing that you've seen? He goes, man, I've had a woman come in and she's eating laundry detergent. She literally wants to eat laundry detergent. I was like, all right, now what's the weirdest thing you've seen in the last week? <laughs> he goes, well, I got this woman. He goes, literally, she's eating the tops of pins off. She's, she wants to eat the tops of pins. She's gone through boxes of them. She's craving that. You see, normal people give in to what they want. My wife didn't have any of that kind of crazy stuff, but she wanted hamburgers like nobody's business. I mean, she wanted hamburgers for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. And we cooked hamburgers at least once on the weekend, and she would make probably four or five extra ones just to have them in reserve for those moments. Because my wife is a very sweet woman. Until she gets hungry, And apparently, when you're hungry and pregnant, it's a whole different level of hungry. We, we call it hangry Amanda. That's what we call it. Normal Amanda, very sweet, very loving, very nurturing. But hangry Amanda will rip your head off for a hamburger. And that's what normal people do. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever done something because... There was a moment where you wanted to do it, and just minutes later, you regretted it. Maybe said something to somebody because you were upset. Maybe did something on impulse. Maybe bought a shirt that you knew you shouldn't buy that shirt. 
Have you ever done that? Because that's what normal people do. I'm going to give you two thoughts to anchor this series for us. Number one, if you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want to be bankrupt, if you want to have a, an absurd, a, a just absurd amount of debt, if you want to live in relational tension and stress, if you want all of that, just keep doing what normal people do. Do that. But if you want what only a few have, you need to be willing to do what only a few are willing to do. That means you've got to be free. You see, the Bible is filled with normal people who in the moment with the desire wanted to fulfill it. Think about that with me. We've got Eve who wanted the fruit from a tree, chose to eat that fruit in that moment. Devastating consequences. We've got just fast forwarding through the story. We come to Moses who encounters an Egyptian beating a Hebrew just having found out that he himself is a Hebrew and he wants revenge so he kills him in the moment. Devastating consequences for his life. Fast forward to the kingdom of Israel. We find King David atop the castle looking out over the countryside seeing Bathsheba in her vulnerable bath right and he thinks I want some of this action bring that woman to me even though she's not my wife and is married to somebody else devastating consequences because they were normal people that lived in a moment with their momentary desires we do that every single day. We lose our temper and we yell and scream in a moment because we're angry. You're out shopping and you know you hadn't really thought of this thing before. You know, it just looks so good on the shelf right there. I, got, I just got to have it. I know it's uh, very expensive, but I just got to have this. I never knew about it before just now. Right? And maybe the best example is when we all go to the beach and decide we got to go over to the seafood buffet, right? And we go get our, our first plate, and then we go, well, i got to go get a second plate because I paid for the buffet. And then after the second plate, you look up and you go, they have a dessert buffet. I didn't even know it. i got to go get some of that too. And you walk out just like about to throw up because of how much food you, that's what normal people do. Look at what 1 John 2 says. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. This is what the world in those moments is going to offer you. A craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see in pride in our achievements and possessions. That's what the world offers us. But look as that verse continues. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with it, everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You see, those moments, those momentary desires... 
those desires that pop up, the things that we feel like we got to have, i got to do this, this is going to fade away. But there is a life that if we look beyond those things, will last forever. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to contrast for you how normal people and how freaky people deal with their desires. Okay, let's get started. Let's get to work. Number one, normal people want what they want now, not later. Normal people want what they want now, not later. That's why parents at t-ball games get mad when their kids don't play. Because they want their kids to play now. That's why why I hate ice cream. Anybody else hate ice cream but love it at the same time? See, if we have ice cream in the house about 11 o'clock at night, it starts talking in the freezer. I don't know if anybody else has ice cream that does this. It's like, Kevin, I'm here. How you doing? Hey, big boy, come get you some. Right? Right? I mean, we want what we want now. That's why we live in an epidemic of immediate gratification. Can I just give you this? This isn't in my notes, but I think this is probably important for somebody. Life rarely has a silver bullet answer for your problem. Rarely. Rarely does life offer us that. Right? The stuff that we face is difficult takes work. It takes time. It takes rearranging the way that we live. Look at the way that the sun processes in Luke 15 as he's getting ready to leave home. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. That's the way normal people live. They want what they want now. Number two, normal people always want more. more normal people always, and I would go so far as to say that normal people define better as more. How many of y'all, I'm not going to do any kind of gender comparison because it's not fair to me in this question. All right, how many of y'all would say, I got twice as many shoes as I need. Some of y'all. I'm probably like way beyond that, all right? Shoes, right? Why, why do we buy so many different pairs of shoes? We don't, we don't need more shoes does not equal better, right? And the, I think the, the probably the area in our life where this really is the most evident for most normal people is that we think that a better life is equal to more money. Do you know that there's a group of researchers from several very influential schools within the United States for the past 20 years have spent studying happiness throughout the world, just trying to understand what makes people happy. And one of the happiest, smallest communities they've found is right outside of Delhi, India. It's one of the most poorest communities in the world. 
mean, the average person there lives on less than $100 a year. And they work typically seven days a week to earn that. And they're happy. See, more does not equal better. Can I give you another area where we think about this this way? Recognition and appreciation. More is better. It's not that way. All right? And think about that with me. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to store up our treasures in heaven, that if we gain our reward on earth, then we already have it. Especially in regards of money, we see this in Ecclesiastes 5. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, the Bible says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And the last thing that normal people do, and man, this is, this is pivotal for you, that normal people are willing to trade the ultimate for the immediate. They're willing to trade the ultimate for the immediate. We maybe find no greater example in all the Bible than in two brothers that we find in Genesis 25. In Genesis 25, we find a story about Jacob and Esau. Now, they were born under this really interesting story, and then they, they grow up in this family where it seems like the dad likes Esau and the mom likes Jacob. And so as the personalities emerge, Esau's really, uh, the Bible describes him as being very hairy, which has got to be interesting, right? If it's so important that the Bible describes you as being hairy. I really hope that if my name ever makes it into a book somewhere, that it's not Kevin was really hairy, right? That's just not the description, but that's how Esau was described. He's kind of a man's man, all right? That's who he was. And Esau is kind of the mama's boy. I mean, Jacob is the mama's boy, all right? So that's helped set this scripture up. Beginning Genesis 25, beginning verse 29. <coughs> One day, Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. All right. So that sets it up right there. Jacob's cooking. Esau's been out in the wilderness. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright now? And so, in that moment, Esau traded his birthright, the right of the firstborn son, for a bowl of stew. You see, as a firstborn son, that meant that when his dad passed away, he would kind of graduate into the role of leading the family. It also meant that he would get a greater share of the inheritance. The number of sons divided or plus one would then be divided throughout the estate. The plus one would be given to the older uh, of the sons. And so if you have two sons, which is the case here, it would be divided into thirds, and the older son would get two-thirds. And he says, fine, take that. I want a bowl of stew. See, 
We constantly face this in life. Every single day you're going to face the decision to trade what God wants ultimately for you for what you want immediately. Every day. It might be the young girl who's in high school and she's got the boyfriend who says, I love you. And she says, I love you back because she really wants to be loved. And he says, if you love me, you'll do bowl of stew. It might be that you're the dad who's promised to be at the t-ball game today, but your boss came in at the end of the day and said, I need you to help me get ready for this presentation tomorrow. I need you to stay late. Bowl of stew. It might be as simple as you're out shopping and you don't have very much money in the bank, but you see that really nice pair of pants that you want to buy. Bolster. What's your bolster? What's in your life right now that you're trading? For what God ultimately wants to give you? What's that immediate gratification that you want? Maybe it's to be loved and to be appreciated. Maybe there's an addiction that's driving you to behave a certain way. What's your bowl of stew? Because your bowl of stew right now is costing you the destiny that God wants to give you. So let's look at how freaky people live. Freaky people, number one, they know that later is often better than now. They know that later is often better than right now. Proverbs 16.32 says this, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. You see, freaky people have learned this truth. That it is better to give up what you want right now so that you can have what you eventually, ultimately want. It is better to give up what we want right now so that we can have what we want ultimately. You see, there are the things that we want, all of us in life, we want to live financially secure, being good stewards of the resources that God gives us. We want to live in relationships that are peaceful and productive. Freaky people have learned, you know what? If I'm going to live the way God wants me to, I don't have to have things now. See, there's an article I read recently that talked about the difference between 
Young families that build wealth and young families that don't. And the difference is not how much money they make. The difference is how they spend their money. See, young families that show the capacity to build wealth, invest in assets, young families that show a lack of ability to build wealth, invest in liabilities. Let me just explain the difference between an asset and a liability. An asset gains value, a liability loses value. Okay. When you go to the store and you see that pair of jeans that should be 150 bucks and they're marked down to 125 and you think, i got to have those jeans because I'm going to look hot in those jeans. And you buy them at $125. Those jeans are not an asset. They are a liability because when you walk out of that store, having paid $125 for those jeans, they are now worth less than half of that. They will not gain value. When you're that guy or that girl that thinks, i got to get that car. And that car cost thirty, forty, maybe even fifty thousand dollars. And you go out and you go to the dealership and you drop fifty grand on a brand new car. Within the first two years, that car will depreciate, will lose twenty percent of its value. See, a car is in liability because it will always lose money. Think about that. Drop 50 grand on a car that loses 20% in two years. That means you lose $10,000 to buy a new car. In a county where our average family is making around thirty dollars to $35,000 a year. That's a third of your working year before taxes lost in depreciation on an average on a liability. Freaky people learn that later is often better than now. Number two, know that less is more. Freaky people know that less is more. Proverbs 15, 16. Better to have little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. We learned that at the seafood buffet, right? It's better to have a little than to have a lot there. I need some Tums on the way out the door because I ate way too much money, right? That's just not how it works. Better to have a little than to have a lot. I talked to one of our friends who's in our church the other day. What you doing today? I'm cleaning out my office. Really? What's that look like? Well, we got a dump truck here. What? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take about three trips with the dump truck to clean out my office. Really? It's just the trash they're throwing away. And it's not like it was cluttered. That's just stacks of paper, books, catalogs, things like that that they don't need. But that's what our lives look like. If I looked at all of your schedules, you're booked tight. I mean tight. 
Like you probably even have to microwave your Pop-Tarts. That's how tight your schedule is. I want to tell you this. This is important. The barrier for most of us to a meaningful life is not a lack of commitment. It's not the barrier that we face to finding a meaningful The barrier to a meaningful life is being overly committed to things that are meaningless. I'm going to say that again. The most common barrier that we find to a meaningful life is being overcommitted to things that are meaningless. And why we talk to you about serving? Because this is one of the areas that we can guarantee that you devote your time, get involved to do something to make a difference in somebody else's life. It's meaningful. We don't ask you to go out and do a ton of things. We don't do cleanup drives, and we don't do all. You know why we don't? Because we don't believe that you need a bunch more things to do. That's, we don't want to overcommit ourselves even as a church. But we do want to live lives that are meaningful. Being, living a meaningful life means that we're committed to things that are meaningful. And lastly, number three, freaky people seek God until his desires become their desires. Freaky people seek God until his desires become their desires. Look at this verse with me. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, some of us just love that verse. It's on a wallpaper, on a computer. You got it on the back of your car. Let me, let me take a moment and just tell you, when I, when I started kind of making my first steps to follow Jesus, this is one of those verses that stood out for me. And I can remember God speaking into my heart. Kevin, if you... If you'll follow me, if you'll give it up, if you'll chase me, I'll give you the life that you want. And I thought, oh, really? I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be the guy on cribs, right? Because if we read that verse wrong, that's what it says. But that's not what this verse says. That word that says delight, delight yourself in the Lord. That word's actually a technical term that a potter would use to describe clay. It means to be pliable and moldable. See, this verse is saying that if we are like clay in the hands of the potter, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. You see, what that means is that as God shapes our hearts, He shapes our desires. You see, freaky people will seek God until God's desires become their desires. And we need to do that because every single day, every day there's going to be a bowl of stew that's laid on the counter of your life that's offered to you. Every single day, 
This world is going to give you an opportunity to trade the destiny, the calling that God has put on your life for something that is momentary and meaningless. Every single day. Every day, you're going to have an opportunity to eat that bowl of soup. And that decision has a lifetime of consequences. When we talk about the God of the Bible, we often talk about the God of the Bible as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about that with me. If Esau had not taken that bowl of soup, we'd be saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. In that moment, he gave up his destiny. Let's not be those kind of people. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that we can be the kind of people that live committed lives, that have embraced and been transformed to love you and to love the things that you love. That by your mercy, God, you can transform our hearts so that the things that we desire are the things that you desire for us. And there are many of us in this room right now, many of us who are struggling because the things that we want are killing us. And we are all too often sacrificing a moment for our lives. So right now, God, would you please rescue us from that broken, busted, and worthless way of living. Too many of us have given up too much for a stupid bowl of soup. And so God, today I just ask that you would, by your grace and mercy, reach down into this room and rescue us from that way. So with nobody looking around, every eye closed, heads bowed. Let me ask you this question right now. Have you been giving up your life for a stupid bowl of soup? Right now, are you ready to say, I'm tired of this. I want to give my life instead of to a a, a momentary desire. I want to give it to Jesus. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of living with all the shame and guilt. I'm tired of dealing with all the consequences of making decisions like this. If that's you and you're here today and you want that, would you raise your hand right now? I'm tired of it. I want Jesus. I'm tired of living like this. I can't live this way anymore. Would you raise your hand if that's you right now? So God, 
thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to rescue us. That you care about us enough to bring us out of the desires that would kill us. And so, God, today, by your mercy and grace, do something amazing in the lives that have surrendered themselves to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.